This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM, 103.1 FM, WMET, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. Later in the show, we'll talk with the author of a new book on Mary. But first up, we're going to talk with the executive producer of a movie about a priest particularly devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Review Radio is Father David Guffey, National Director of Family Theater Productions and executive producer of Pray, the story of Patrick Payton, which will be released October 9th. In addition to managing the day-to-day operations at Family Theater Productions, Holy Cross Father David Guffey produces, directs, and writes films for the organization. He has received Gabriel, Telly, and New York Festival Awards for films he has written or produced. Father Guffey directed and wrote the script for 40 hours, based on his experiences working at Andre House of Hospitality, a center for service to the poor and homeless in Phoenix, where Father Guffey and I first crossed paths many moons ago. (laughs) Father David lives and serves in residence at St. Monica Parish in Santa Monica, California. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. Good to be with you. Tell us a little bit about how Father Peyton became the Rosary Priest and the leader of the Rosary Crusades that all told uh, drew about 28 million people to his rallies from the 1940s to the 1980s. Sure. Father Peyton uh, was a seminarian for Holy Cross, and he was almost ready to be ordained when he was struck with a, a severe case of tuberculosis. In the 1930s, tuberculosis was virtually a death sentence for many people, and it was for Father Peyton. Father Peyton turned toward the Blessed Mother in prayer, and uh, it was on his deathbed, and turned to the Blessed Mother in prayer and experienced a healing, a powerful healing. And the doctors, came and did a chest X-ray, tuberculosis was gone. Well, he went on to be ordained, and he's reflecting on the experience, and he wants to give something back. He wants to give something back to the Blessed Mother, but he wants to do it with his whole life. He looks around, and he sees the world. This is just at the start of World War II, um, 1941, and he sees the stress that's on families, the way that families are being torn apart because men going off to war, but even in society, there's things that are dividing the family, and he wants... He wants to bring families hope or bring families strength. So he thought back to his own family back in Ireland. He grew up in Northern Ireland in the rural area. And what made his family unified in it was prayer, prayer of the rosary. And that's when he decided to give his whole life to spreading the news about family prayer and the rosary. So this priest, only a few years ordained at the time, starts a national family prayer campaign, writes every bishop in the country, and the whole thing takes off from there. There's a line in the movie uh, that says that for the Peyton family, faith was as important as food and drink. So I assume that had an impact on his life in that way that then he could inspire others, right? Absolutely. And in fact, late in his life, Father Peyton was asked by an interviewer, what's the greatest gift of your life? Bear in mind, at this time, he'd been seen by 28 million people. He'd seen countries, he'd met popes and celebrities. 
And so when he thought about the, the question, what's the greatest gift of your life? He said, being born into a home that praised the family rosary. It was such a great gift to him. And he saw it. With the media splintered the way it is today, could anybody do now what he did then? I don't think they do it in the way that he did it, but there are people doing it. And uh, if you look at the following that um, many Catholic leaders, uh, Catholic voices have today, in fact, they probably have larger audiences than Father Peyton had. It's just that they're over the internet and social media and digital platforms. I think we have great opportunities to take the word to people through the media today. And I'm so grateful to God that there's so many people taking advantages of the technology and the opportunities. Yeah, I think it was Pope John Paul, when he was in Los Angeles in 1987, said that it would be a sin if we didn't use all the technology we had available. And that was well before social media was available and and all of those kinds of things. So I I think you're on target with that. It's funny you mentioned that because that's part of the reason I got into media is because of Pope John Paul and the way that he said we have to be in this space. And people really took him to heart, like you say. Yeah. What kind of miracles, you talked about the miracle that was uh, that happened in his life when he was suffering from tuberculosis, but what other miracles were associated with his ministry? Father Peyton was, in addition to sort of being a very public man who produced television and radio and did these big rallies, was really at, at the heart of who he was, was a pastoral person, a person of Christ, a, a priest. And so there's so many people that have stories of Father Peyton visiting them, praying for them, praying for a loved one, and experiencing healing through his prayers and through his intercessions. And still today, our organization, our sister organization, Family Rosary, gets letters and emails from people who've asked for the intercession of Father Peyton and find relief and comfort and what they would call healing through his intercessions. The movie uh, talks with the Leonard family. The father had was on a construction site and fell six and a half stories, and they assumed that he would die overnight. And Father Peyton prayed with him for hours, and he recovered, and the family went on to have four more children for a total of eight. Is that the kind of thing where he just would dedicate himself to prayer whenever he saw a need? It was, and Father Peyton was praying constantly for people, um, praying constantly to connect his life to God. How did his ministry change over the decades? I mean, certainly in the 1940s, it was only radio. He eventually got into TV, but he was doing all these large rallies in various places, Golden Gate Park and in the Philippines, I mean, all around the world. How did that ministry adapt to the times? Well, it did change quite a lot. Um, society changed. The, the way that uh, the dominant culture accepted faith and people of faith changed uh, in the 60s and 70s. The church uh, changed with Vatican II. The public practice of devotional prayers like the rosary decreased. And for noble reason, the, the church wanted to point people to the scriptures and to the sacraments, especially the Eucharist. And so that was the emphasis for a while. It was never meant to take away the rosary or to say that it wasn't important, but it wasn't the, an emphasis like it had been before. So, in the, you know, it was a tough going for Father Peyton in the 70s. Media was changing. Media had been deregulated, so local stations weren't required to do the same number of public service hours. And it was in those public service hours that many of Father Peyton's TV broadcasts were aired. So lots changed for him. He got a new breath of life in the 80s when he started producing uh, holiday specials. And with the growth of Catholic media like EWTN and a few local Catholic radio stations or local Catholic radio mini networks that um, he got 
the Second Life in the 80s, and his ministry then continued in the 90s and the 2000s. One of the things that the movie focuses on a little bit is how he got all the big Hollywood names involved in this cause. How did that come about? Well, it was just through relationships. Father Peyton, when he came to Hollywood in 1947, actually the fall of 1946, went to the parishes where he knew that some celebrities worship. He was introduced to them by their pastors with the permission of the bishop. And, you know, just one by one, he talked to producers and writers and then to actors. It came together. It was um, people were anxious to help. The stories were quality. In some ways, they still hold up. We still broadcast his old radio shows on some radio networks around the country. A lot of wonderful things came together at the same time. How did that tagline that became synonymous with his ministry and and your ministry, the family that prays together stays together, how did that come about? Father Peyton was looking for a way to describe his ministry, and he knew that prayer brought unity to families, and prayer would keep families unified. And so he he talks with um, an ad writer uh, named Al Scalpone, who was a friend of a friend that he'd met. Al Scalpone was Jewish, but really appreciated Father Peyton's message of family prayer. Obviously, family prayer is hugely important to our Jewish brothers and sisters. And so as they're brainstorming ideas and things, and they're trying to summarize Father Peyton's thoughts, Al Scalpone kind of says, what about this? The family that prays together stays together. And Father Peyton glommed onto that. <laughs> that became the tagline of our radio show and really his signature phrase that um, was now known around the world. What's the status of his canonization process? Father Peyton is at the stage which, that's called venerable, uh, which means that they've done a complete investigation of everything that he ever said. That's at the Vatican. They've done extensive interviews across the diocese that he worked in. I think over 150 people were interviewed for his cause. And so all that's at the Vatican. Now what is waiting to be beatified and, God willing, canonization someday would be posthumous miracles. Every day, we, as I said, we get letters and emails from people who claim healing and comfort from Father Peyton. But the church asks for very specific things. And right now there's two incidents that have gone through a diocesan investigation that are with the Congregation of Saints that are being investigated as potential miracles. So we'll see. Part of the thing in that is that it has to be so clear that it couldn't be, well, it just progressed a little bit faster than we wanted to. There has to be just a very clear healing that can't be explained in any other way. And so it sounds like you logged into a a couple of those that that might make the best case for this. Yes, that's right. So the movie Pray, Patrick Payton's story, will be coming out October 9th. Where is that going to be available and how can people see it? It's going to be available in a select uh, markets around the United States. The best way to know if your if your city or your theater is one of those is to go to the website, praythefilm.com. There's a little button you can push there called Find a Theater, and it has a list of all the theaters that are playing the film. I would encourage people to go back to that because we're adding theaters every day, and we will be perhaps over the next two or three months. And then secondly, if you have a group or if you know of a theater in your area where this would be, and you'd like Pray to be there, let us know. And there's a place on the website that you can let us know, but also talk to your theater owner and your theater owner can request to see the film. We're getting requests from theaters around the country to book the film into their theaters. So we'll see. Most parts of the country theaters are open, but they have limited capacity and they they have a lot of things in place to keep people safe when they go to the theater. Very good. Well, we have been talking today with Holy Cross Father David Guffey about the upcoming movie, Pray, 
about the life and faith of Father Patrick Payton, known worldwide as the Rosary Priest. Thanks so much for being with us today, Father David. Thanks, you for having me, Chris. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review. Now that we've heard about Father Patrick Payton and his devotion to Mary, after the break, we'll hear from Jesuit Father David McConey about his new book, 101 Surprising Facts About Mary. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with a Catholic Review. As early voting begins in some states for the upcoming presidential election, Baltimore Archbishop William E. Lurie is urging his parishioners to be guided by the principles of Catholic social teaching as they complete their ballots. Quote, casting our votes is not only a privilege, but also a solemn duty and responsibility, end quote, Archbishop Lurie wrote in a column for the Catholic Review. Stressing the principles of human dignity, the common good, and solidarity, Archbishop Lloyd challenged parishioners to look beyond party labels and consider the, quote, real-life consequences, end quote, of each candidate's position. To read Archbishop Lloyd's full commentary and for a link to a candidate survey conducted by the Maryland Catholic Conference, visit catholicreview.org. The Archdiocese of Baltimore's annual Rosary Congress began October 3rd and continues through October 9th. The Basilica of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary in downtown Baltimore will offer perpetual adoration of the Blessed Sacrament throughout the Congress, along with hourly recitation of the Rosary, special liturgies, and more. Several other parishes will also offer special events. For a full schedule, visit archbalt.org forward slash Rosary Congress. Again, that's archbalt.org forward slash Rosary Congress. For the second time in eight years, and the third time since the program began in 1982, Notre Dame Preparatory School in Towson was named a National Blue Ribbon School of Excellence September 24th. It is the highest honor bestowed by the U.S. Department of Education. NDP, which also earned the distinction in the school years 1984-85 and 2012-13, was among 50 non-governmental schools of 367 honored throughout the nation. The Blue Ribbon School Award honors public and private, elementary, middle, and high schools where students achieve at high levels or where the achievement gap is narrowing. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. As always, wear a mask, wash your hands often, and maintain social distancing whenever possible, and talk with your health care provider about a vaccination for the upcoming flu season. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. You are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM and 103.1 FM WMBT, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Father David McConey is a Jesuit priest and a professor at St. Louis University, where he directs the Catholic Study Center. He is the author of a brand new book called 101 Surprising Facts About Mary. 
Here's our interview with Father McConey. Father McConey, thanks for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thanks for having me, George. In the Bible, there's very little that's recorded about what Mary actually says, what words she spoke. But probably the most famous of her words that are attributed to, to her are from the Magnificat. Yet there's been so much written about her, about what she has to say to the world today. Why do you think there's such a profound interest and devotion to Mary? Well, I hope there will be, and it's fitting that there is, because the God of Christianity is never a micromanaging, absorptive God who demands all of our attention all the time. He actually loves to share his presence through his creatures. And so Mary has a special role in the one who allowed God himself to enter his own creation. And when we commune with her, when we speak with her, when we pray with her, we're not uh, dishonoring God. We're actually, I think, following the way he likes to be approached, that is, as community with each other. And so there's an interest in Mary, I think, because she's a powerful woman who changed the entire world's history. And uh, in so doing, she gave us our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I think Christians and non-Christians can honor her, maybe for different reasons, but she really does stand out as a very unique kind of woman. To whom do you bring flowers and write poetry? And it's the woman. It's the it's the beloved woman. And she stands at the center of the Christian kind of love affair. And that's why there are so many hymns and poems and pieces of music and works of art dedicated to her. She provides that need for the feminine, I think. Your book really is written in, in, in a re- very approachable, readable way. It's very fun to just go through these little, little short paragraph blurbs you have, or just some are just only a page long. As you researched the book, what are some of your most surprising things, of the surprising things that you found? Well, there's a lot of legend around Mary. None of that's surprising. I'm I'm, I'm trained as an historian, as a classicist. Uh, What really surprised me, though, were things that have been right below my nose my whole life. Namely, Mary's the only one who's both at the birth and the death of Jesus. And her last (laughs) words in all of Scripture are at the wedding of Cana, when she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. And just meditating on those two facts was an awesome kind of moment for me, just thinking, yeah, and Mary's entire life is summed up by her, her her service of her son, care of Jesus, and her entire message is summed up in those words, do whatever he tells you. We all know as Catholics that we go to Mary because she points us to Jesus, but John Paul II had a great line. He says, and when you get to Jesus, he'll point you back to Mary. So there's this great love affair, this great exchange. And uh, so doing this book was just a helpful kind of meditation for my own uh, piety, I think. Uh, One of the interesting things you point out is the reason why Dominicans wear rosaries at their sides and how that's connected to some medieval uh, warfare. Well, replace the sword, yeah, which is a nice way to fight, right? Fight with prayer. So we know Dominic, Ignatius, a lot of the medieval... Uh, saints were former soldiers. They knew the importance of passion and, and, and defense and discipline. And when they converted that, they left, obviously, the violent parts away, but they adopted a lot of the practices. And the rosary is one of them, wearing it on that left side where the sword would have gone for a medieval knight. Uh, another interesting tidbit you have is about a hymn where you're not allowed to stand, or you're not allowed to sit while you're uh, singing it. What, right. what is What is that one about? Uh, Well, we've lost that in the West, but in Oriental, in ancient cultures, uh, standing was a sign of respect. You never sat before the king or queen. And there's an akathiasist hymn in which, when to sing it properly, you stand, as if to say the lady has entered the room. And so it's little facts like that, little fun things. I give a little snippet from that hymn, but it's still sung in the Eastern churches, and it's just a sign of respect, a sign of Our Lady. 
And that's the beautiful thing, if I can say, about being Catholic. We actually take some of these things literally seriously and literally physically. Our knee bends when we approach the name of Jesus. You know, Philippians 2.10. Every Christian bends in spirit, but we do these things physically. Our bodies matter, and that's what Mary gives Christianity, an embodied God. And because of her... God is no longer just everywhere. She's, he's now somewhere. He's in that tabernacle, you know, on that cross. And so Mary is the one that gave God particularity, if you will, concreteness. And that's what makes the Catholic piety so special and beautiful. Obviously, Catholics are most associated with having devotion to Mary, but you have several references in your book about how non-Catholics also have uh, devotion or interest to Mary. Uh, you talk about Muslims and uh, Martin Luther and uh some others as well. Can you, can you talk about the wider devotion or interest in Mary? Well, I think what's happened over the years is kind of like Catholics not using the phrase a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, there could be a lot of fruit there if Catholics would just let go of their defensiveness against Protestant use of that term. And I think Protestants do the same with Mary because we have Mary. They don't want to get too close. And that's unfortunate because I do show some great Protestant authors. So even the reformer Martin Luther early on had a devotion to Mary. Of course, he was he was a Catholic first. But um, there is, like I say, an invitation for all people. In fact, she's the most named woman in the Quran, Mary. There's an entire chapter, surah, on her. And so the Muslims have a great devotion to her, too. I don't think they quite understand her role, ultimately, as being the mother of God, just the mother of a prophet, which is problematic. But still, I think she could be, in some ways, a unifying force for interreligious as well as ecumenical dialogue in a way that she hasn't been. And that's what happened at Vatican II. Some of the church fathers at Vatican II wanted a separate treatise on Mary, but other voices prevailed, say, no, we'll attach our Marian part to the doctrine of the church, Lumen Gentium. And that was in order to kind of downplay Mary's centrality in order to get others to think about her in terms of the church. I mean, she is a saved creature, right? The Magnificat, as you mentioned, she does call God her savior. Catholics are just different in that we believe she was saved at the moment of her conception. But she still is part of the church. She's not a goddess or somehow separate from the human condition. October is a great month in the rosary. Why has the, the rosary been so sustained over the years? That's another great question. Uh, I think sometimes Christians think that um, what it means to be a Christian is to read your Bible. Well, you know, the Bible didn't come together until the 4th century, and not everybody read until well uh, after the Middle Ages. And so the rosary, 150 beads originally, were the substitute for the 150 psalms. And what it does, two things. One, it gets your mind fixated on the, the, the main mysteries of Christ's life, and that's where your intellect comes in, like the angels. But it also gives you bodily connections with those wooden beads, uh, reminding you that you're also human. And so, again, Catholic piety is both always intellectual truth, but also material kind of adherence. Oil, water, miraculous metals, bread, wine, all the things, incense, oil, all the stuff that you and I use to convey the divine, the rosary does the same thing, having something between our fingers while meditating on those mysteries of the rosary. What John Paul II did, surprisingly, is add another five mysteries to kind of complete Christ's life while on in ministry, which are beautiful, the baptism of the Jordan, all the way to the transfiguration and the institution of the Eucharist. And that was something no pope had done since uh, Pius V and the Dominicans kind of normalized the rosary. Your book is just filled with gorgeous illustrations and, and, and paintings. Uh, where did you get all the images for your book? <laughs> well, that's uh, St. Benedict's Press in Charlotte. They do a great job. They have the series, 101 Surprising Facts. Jeffrey Kirby did one on the Vatican. I did one on church history and this one on Mary. And they are really adept at finding awesome pictures. 
Because Christianity is much more than text, you know? It's art, it's poetry, it's music. It fills all the senses. And that's why books like this are they're fun, because they do engage parts of your spiritual life that you might otherwise neglect. Do you have a particular image of Mary that you're fond of? Well, one of my favorite pictures in the um, book is Joseph and Mary's flight into Egypt. And it's a great depiction of Mary asleep in the, in the presence of the Sphinx. And I like it because it shows that Christ is the Lord of all. It's fact number 19, the flight into Egypt. And it's done by Luc Olivier Merson. He was a French um, painter who died in 1920. But Mary is arrested in the, in the, she's in rest at the arms of the Sphinx and Joseph is keeping guard. But it just shows that wisdom is ultimately Christ's and Egypt that was known for the great mysteries and, you know, even Christ is present there. Um, that's one of my favorite images. I just love the play of dark and light, pagan and Christian. There's also a great image that I, I had never seen before of, of Christ draping his arm around Mary, like, as in a hug. Uh, is that, yeah, yeah. That, I think you said that's the only image we, you know we know of of Christ hugging. As far Mary. as we know, yeah, it's a mosaic um, in the apse of Santa Maria in Trastevere. It goes back to the 1200s, and Jesus is sitting next to Mary as any any king or king emperor and empress would do. But he's got his arm draped around her with his hand lovingly on her right shoulder. And it's a beautiful image, and nowhere else um, do we have an image of Christ draping his arm around Our Lady. Well, Father, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thanks for having me, and blessings upon you and all your listeners. Thanks, Father. Our guest this segment has been Father David McConey, a Jesuit priest and author of 101 Surprising Facts About Mary. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. You're probably not getting much church news in your daily newspaper or on your local TV station. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. There are so many ways to stay in touch with the Catholic Review. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Catholic Review Media will inspire, teach, inform, and engage you wherever your faith takes you. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.